You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Having spoken in Ushi's house a number of times already, I know not to speak about Ushi too much, but just to know that there are hosts and there are hosts. There's lowercase h host and there's capital H host. And the Shafrin family are capital H hosts. They open themselves up in a way that is reminiscent of the avoda that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did at the creation of the world, which is an act of simsum, make, making space. <laughs> I simply mean they make space. They make space for other people, right? Typically, a person would be anxious by having a thousand people in their home. Ushi loves this. They asked Rav Baruch Ber of Mezhibush, the Rebbe of Baruch, the grandson of the Baal Shem Tov. They said, everything you claim is hinted in the Torah. So how do we know that there's a mitzvah to drink on Purim? How do we know that there's a mitzvah to be meshaker, to become intoxicated, adelo yada, and asterisk placed over here because of the line of work that I am in, intoxication does not demand toxic substances whatsoever. But where does it come from, the idea that we know that you have to become intoxicated on Purim? And the Rebbe of Baruch, without blinking an eye, said, at the bris milah of Yitzhak Avinu, Biyom Higamal et Yitzchak. Higamal, the Rebbe of Baruch says, is the Osios of Megillah. And when you look at the Meforshim, on that day, Avram brought Yayin out to his guests. And the Rebbe of Baruch says, from here we learn that Biyom Higamal et Yitzchak, on the day of the Megillah, there's a mitzvah to drink a little bit. The entirety of the Shir tonight is going to try and understand this remez, this <coughs> gift that the Rebbe Rav Baruch gave us, that if we want to understand the source of Purim in the Torah, it's the day of the celebration of the Brismila of Yitzchak Avinu. Now before we enter into the Shir, I also, and this is not often that we can do this, but sometimes the context of a story becomes part of the story itself. So I want to talk about the Rebbe Rav Baruch of Mezhibuzh for a minute, because ultimately, the Nisham of Rebbe of Baruch is going to be everything we're trying to understand in this year. The Rebbe of Baruch, who was a grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, <coughs> was known as a misanthrope. He hated people. He was furious when people bothered him. The stories about him are to the point of severity that it's difficult to be sovel. Pregnant women would come to him suffering, asking for a bracha. And the Rebbe of Baruch would say that you should merit to not be punished for wasting my time. 
that the anger of the Rebbe of Baruch, the ferocity of the Rebbe of Baruch, his disdain for other tzaddikim was famous. Kachava, the one person that he very much loved, was his younger cousin, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, came to his bris, and his sister, Rabbi Nachman's mother, said, give him a bracha that he shouldn't have any suffering in his life. The Rebbe of Baruch said, you don't get to ask such a question. Rabbi Nachman is going to suffer because he's bringing something new to the world. But the Rebbe of Baruch was famous for being severe. But on his deathbed, he was learning the Zayar HaKadosh, and the page that it was open to was in Parshas Balak, and the words that his fingers were pointing to were the Lashon of Rashbi in the Zohar, Isroiges de Ikra Baruch. There is a fury, there is an anger, there is a severity that is a blessing. Showing that his entire stance of anger, his entire source of severity towards other people, was simply an attempt to sweeten the judgments from those people. It was not chas v'shalom a disdain or an animosity towards other people. But sometimes we learn from our tzaddikim that in order to sweeten the judgments, in order to sweeten the severity that we experience in our lives, you need to fight fire with fire. Sometimes light is not strong enough to dispel darkness. Sometimes you need the nuclear power of darkness itself to show that darkness contains a light that is even greater than light. And it's specifically the Rebbe of Baruch who answers the question of how do we know about Purim from the Torah? From the story of Yitzchak Avinu. Now Yitzchak Avinu is the paradigm of Gevura. Severity, constriction, limitation. Now this will be my public service announcement for the night. When I use the language of severity, constriction, dinim, gvurot, intensity, suffering, each and every person has the ability to understand according to their own subjective constitution what that means. There is no individual's difficulty that is less than or more than. Each person according to their own subjectivity, as the Zohar HaKadosh teaches us, kol chad lefum shiura delay, each person according to the conjecture of their own heart, knows what difficulty means. Lev yodea maras nafsho, each heart understands the bitterness of its own heart. What, what is bitterness for one person might be a gift for another person, but that does not detract the severity of what being alive means. Yitzchak Avinu represents Gevura, Pachad Yitzchak, fear, anxiety, anticipatory fear, not knowing what to do and being afraid of it. Chazal tell us that Yitzchak was the first person to announce in the world that isdin v'isdayan. There is judgment in the world, there is harshness in the world. The world oftentimes appears to be severe. But on the other hand, Yitzchak Avinu, if we want to know the etymology of his name, it comes from laughter. It comes from the fact that Avram and Sarah laughed when he was born. But Tishak Sarah, Bekirba, and Sarah laughed within herself. Sarah laughed in her heart. 
And Chazal tell us that on the day that Yitzchak was born, the entire world was inflamed with laughter. And the question that our tzaddikim ask is how can we stim, how can we align this seemingly paradoxical notion that on the one hand Yitzchak represents severity, distortion, difficulty, yet on the other hand he's the birthplace of laughter. Rav Tzadak HaKohen Leblin, echoing a sentiment of the Vilna Gon, tells us that the first time a word is stated in the Torah is the essential nature of that concept. So if you want to understand what a word means, look to its first instantiation within Torah Shabbat The first time we find the notion of laughter is with the birth of Yitzchak. Almost as if to say there is no concept of laughter unless a person is willing to be mitmodeid to confront and to deal with the severity of Yitzchak. The Chedushe Harim, Schuse Yogan Aleinu, the student of the Katzker Rebbe, a base medrash that understood severity. He asks the question, what's funny about Yitzchak? What's funny here? There's severity here, there's suffering here. When you look at the narrative of Yitzchak in the Torah, it's difficult. He says but very few words. He suffers, at least at first glance, silently. So the Chidush Harim asks a very simple question. Why is Yitzchak named Yitzchak? What in the world is funny about Yitzchak? How does Yitzchak give birth to laughter? And the Chidush Harim says a remarkable teaching. A teaching that I can honestly claim was the first teaching that inflamed my obsession with Yitzchak Avinu. The Chidush Harim says as follows. He says, Chazal tell us that by the Akedah, Yitzchak wasn't almost killed. He was killed. Yitzchak Avinu was destroyed. He was annihilated. Avram Avinu's kavana and intensity at the moment of the Akedah annihilated Yitzchak. His ashes are standing on the Mizbeach. But Yitzchak Avinu also walks down the mountain. And the Chadush Arim says, so we're faced with a paradox of terms. On the one hand, Chazal tell us Yitzchak is dead. On the other hand, we find that Yitzchak is alive. And the only way to react to a paradox of that sort is by laughing. The absurdity of the notion that something can be dead and alive in the same moment gives birth to a laughter that says this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But it's a laughter that at first glance appears to be born out of insanity, out of shiga'on, out of madness. But it's a laughter that as we allow ourselves to enter further into the laughter of absurdity, it softens the sting of that which is absurd. The more we laugh, the more we allow ourselves to make light of the situation, the more we become comfortable with ourselves. The more we're able to say that, okay, so I have no idea what's going on, but at least it's funny. At least there's laughter that emerges out of this. Purim, the entire story of Purim is a story of Yeyush, is a story of the loss of hope. 
the Jewish people in the time of Purim. And as Chazal have told us and our tzaddikim tell us, each and every single one of us in our own lives lives the story of Purim. Our entire lives are our own Megillahs, where the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is absent. Hashem's name is not present. And we encounter daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly questions of what in the world is going on with me. As Rabbi Nachman teaches us, the question to ask is, Heichan ani ba'olam. Where in the world am I? How in the world have I arrived at this moment that I am in right now? The existential antinomies that we find ourselves in when we're willing to allow ourselves to look around for a second to realize that I have no idea how I got here. I have no idea how my life has arrived at this point right now. The Chassam Soifer, tells us that La'asid Lavo, Everybody will be zoicha to their own Megillah. Everybody will be zoicha to the story of their lives, to the Sipuri Maisios of their lives, the narrative of their life that will show them that in spite of the fact that all of the different iterations and moments of despondency and loss of hope and difficulty and hope and happiness and all of the intertwining between the two will create our own Megillah. Or as Rabbi Nassan of Nimerov, the Talmud Mufak and the scribe of Rabbi Nachman tells us so often in the loving letters that he wrote to his son in Alim Le Trufa. And again, another asterisk. Whatever you feel about Rabbi Nachman, whether you're afraid of it or whether you have access to it, if you learn the Sefer Alim Le Trufa, it is the most profound medicine. It is a medicine that settles the soul in a time where the soul is aflamed with anxiety. Rabbi Nassim writes so often that Mashiach will come to do what? To tell each and every individual how each and every moment of their lives was part of their own Megillah, was part of the story of the life that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had arranged for them. And we all encounter the paradox of Yitzchak Avinu. We all encounter the notion that on the one hand we're dead, on the one hand we lose hope, on the one hand we're despondent, on the one hand we're tzibrachin, on the one hand we're anxious, whether it be by way of the news or by way of our interpersonal relationships. Yet on the other hand, somehow, some way, we continue to hope. We continue to come to shirim. We continue to daven. We continue to say, We continue to keep Shabbos. We continue to have Emuna. We all live the paradox of Yitzchak Avinu. On the one hand, we're dead. Yet on the other hand, we're alive. I met with a very close friend, a Rebbe of sorts, who many people in this room know. And the Torah that we learned together was a statement from the Vilna Gon. In the back of his Likutim and his parish on Safar Ditsniusa, the Vilna Gon says something remarkable. He says that stop worrying so much. Stop worrying about death so much and about the things that are frightening. The destruction of the Beis Hamikdash is when we died. We're already dead. 
And when we were kicked out of Yerushalayim, and we were forced into Chutz La'aretz, we were buried in the Kever. And when the nations of the world and our anxieties assault us, that's when the rim of the worms attack our bodies in the Kever. And when the yeshivos that we've built and the hope that we've built for ourselves fall away, that's when we even lose the irreducible spark of life that remains even in death. And the Vilna Gon says that the Jewish people nowadays, and he was saying this over 200 years ago, are the irreducible remainder that remains even after the death of the Jewish people. That we are already experienced the trauma. We've already been killed. We've already been munach al-mizbeach. Our offer is on the mizbeach. Yet, nevertheless, here we are. There's a child psychologist. I shouldn't say what. There was a child psychiatrist. His name was Donald Winnicott. Donald Winnicott was not Jewish, but he loved Jews, which is enough to make him Jewish. And Donald Winnicott said something very profound. He says that most of the time when a client arrives in my office or when a client comes for therapy, the biggest fear that they have is that there's some catastrophe that stands at the ready to take place. Some trauma is ready to happen. Some uncontrollable event in my life is standing just at the precipice of my consciousness. And my anticipatory fear leaves me in a state of anxiety. And Winnicott says as follows, sometimes the greatest relief that you can offer to a client is telling them, stop worrying so much. The trauma already happened. It's already broken. You've already fallen. When we're able to accept the very basic fact that things have broken and we remain after the brokenness, that's where the laughter emerges. That's where laughter comes into play. Because here we are, already broken, yet nevertheless we find ourselves still hoping even after hopelessness. Still desiring HaKadosh Baruch Hu after all of the reasons that we have to not find HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's the birthplace of laughter. And again, to remind ourselves, we're still trying to simply understand why the Rebbe of Baruch wanted to claim that the hint to Purim in the Torah is by Yitzchak Avinu. Yitzchak Avinu is the birthplace of Schoik, is the birthplace of the paradoxical laughter that emerges when we encounter the opposite of what we expected. Philosophically speaking, and when I say philosophy, we're still in the realm of Yiddishkeit. The philosophers that discussed this were Sigmund Freud, who was a Yid, a deeply, deeply aware Yid. Another philosopher was Henry Bergson, who was another Yid. These people were willing to give up their lives for the Yiddishkeit. They questioned the, the birthplace of laughter. Where does laughter come from? So there have been three theories, philosophically and psychologically speaking, about laughter. The first one was the physiological understanding of laughter. 
that just like the individual who has pent up emotions within themselves, pent up energy that needs to find a recourse to expression will cry, so too laughter is a way of catharsis. Catharsis is the sense that when I inhale for too long, I hold my breath for a little bit longer than I'm comfortable with. My chest begins to tighten. My chest begins to feel a little bit uncomfortable. But even though I want to exhale, I allow myself to hold it even a little bit more. When a person finally allows themselves to exhale, that moment of relief, that moment of Yeshua that comes about when I realize that I can breathe again, that is the feeling of catharsis. That is the feeling of sweetening difficulty. So Freud said that when you laugh, you're expressing an intensity of emotion. He was wrong though. Freud's problem was that he was a brilliant thinker, but he wanted to be a doctor. And he tried to take his ideas and apply them to the body, and that's when he became a madman. But philosophically, he may have been correct. Maybe laughter is a way of expressing discomfort. Then there were other philosophers who came about and said, no, laughter is born out of a sense of superiority. That when I see somebody fall, when I see somebody dressed in a tuxedo slip on a banana peel, it's funny because I'm still standing upright and this shlamazel is now on his back. And it makes me feel good about myself. And again, Lev Yodea Maris Nafsha, we all know the humor that we use to push other people down. But again, that theory is negative enough that we can dispel it. Henry Bergson, and again, Henry Bergson, I don't know how many people are familiar with the name. His grandmother was a, a, a Hasida of Chabad. She gave a lot of money to Chabad Hasidis in the generation of the Rebbe Rashab. Henry Bergson says that's not where laughter is born. Laughter is born out of the theory of incongruity. You want to know the birthplace of laughter? You want to know why we laugh? It's when we're exposed to the very reality of the fact that what we thought so deeply is ultimately not true. When we're surprised by the fact that my deepest convictions are not true. The opposite is true. When an individual is walking upright in a tuxedo and a piano falls from 500, 500 feet above and crushes him, like we were brought up with, with Looney Tunes or Bugs Bunny or whatever it may have been, if we allow ourselves to pause for a second, there's nothing funny about that. That's suffering. What's funny about somebody suffering? What's funny, Bergson says, is that it was unexpected. When the unexpected arrives, when that which we thought was an impossibility arrives onto the scene and forces itself into our reality of day to day, that's where laughter is born. Purim is the incongruity theory. Purim is a time where the Nahapochu, the Jewish people in the time of Purim, had absolutely no reason to believe that things would be okay. Politically, <coughs> rationally, emotionally, there was no reason to believe that things would be okay. 
yet v'nahapochu, the exact plan that our enemies had prepared for them, the gallows that Haman himself had developed and built, become the very birthplace of the salvation of the Jewish people. Now, the story of Purim could have gone very differently. Haman HaRasha Yimach Shemo V'Zichro and all of his descendants Yimach Shemo V'Zichro, aside from the descendants who learned Torah in Bnei Brak, as we'll speak about at the end, it could have very simply been that Haman planned something bad, Hashem nullified his decree, and brought about Chesed. That's not what the story of Purim is about. The story of Purim is a deeper salvation. The very gallows that Haman set up, the very negativity that Haman brought into the world, is in and of itself the birthplace of the Yeshua of the Jewish people. V'nahapochu means that that which I thought was darkness, that which I thought was impossible, that which I thought was so difficult that it was an impossibility, surprises me to show that it's the birthplace of salvation. The very gallows that Haman HaRasha made to hang Mordechai become that which hangs Haman himself. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has many ways of showing his light in the world. There's a way of showing that there's darkness and then forcing darkness away and saying that darkness has no place here. What the Balhatanya refers to as iskafya, as suppressing darkness, as assuming darkness doesn't exist, pretending that there's no difficulty in the world, mm-hmm. pretending that everything is okay. But there's a higher level. The level that is higher is called ishafcha, transforming, flipping, inverting. That means that we take the very materiality of difficulty, we take the very ingredient of our suffering, and we force that to become the birthplace of our salvation. Purim is the time where we say that all of the suffering and the difficulty that the world has gone through, that we have gone through, is in and of itself going to be the birthplace of our schoik. The schoik of Mashiach Tzidkenu, of V'tishak Leyom Acharon. What is Yom Acharon? We all hope. We all have things we hope towards. We all have things we desire to happen. And we hope that they happen quickly. Like the Lubavitcher Rebbe, would say, Tekef umiyad mamish. Immediately. We want things to happen immediately. But then there's Yom Acharon. There's the last day. Or the day after the last day. Where we feel that the Yeshua that we so desire hasn't arrived yet. And it's punked there, it's specifically there at the limit of our tolerability. At the limit of our ability to say, Hashem, even though you're not here in my life right now, I still am willing to believe in you in my life. At the last moment, in the 13th hour, everything transforms to goodness. Everything is netapeich letova. Everything flips to goodness. V'tishak leyom acharon, the promise of Mashiach Tzidkenu, 
is that it's specifically at the limit of our experience when we feel that there's no more room to hope. When Haman HaRasha has already decreed that which will happen to the Jewish people. And Avel Gadol Yehudim, And the Jewish people are mourning already. Reasonably mourning. It's specifically there in the darkness of the darkness of night. Or Rabbi Nachman refers to as the Hastara Shabetoicha Hastara. The concealment within the concealment. Or what the Lubavitcher Rebbe referred to as the Choshech Kaful Umechupal. As the doubled over darkness. A darkness that even when you penetrate the first level of darkness, what you come to find is another layer of darkness. It's specifically there at the Yoim Acharon, at the last day, that Mashiach teaches us how to laugh. Because Mashiach says everything you thought was going wrong was in truth the preparatory stage of revealing the light. That all of our tzabrachenkeit, all of our difficulties, all of our suffering, all of our yeyushim, all of our fears and our anxieties are simply preparing the stage to laugh properly. The Gemara in Masech Shabbos discusses who's going to be the Redeemer, Lasid Lavo. The Jewish people are going to find themselves in dire straits. They're going to find themselves Bain HaMitzarim. Who is going to be the one who comes to redeem the Jewish people? So they come to Avram Avinu. Hashem says, Avram, your children have severely screwed up. Your children have really messed things up. And Avram is going to say, my kids? They're not my kids. I'm not responsible for this mess. I'm not responsible for the anxiety that the Jew experiences in 2020. They're going to come to Yaakov and they're going to say, Yaakov. Hashem is going to say, Yaakov. Redeem your children. Yaakov is going to say, my kids? They're not my kids. I maybe raised them, but this is, not, this is not from my house. They didn't learn this from my house. They didn't learn to go and find intoxication in all sorts of areas from my house. They didn't learn to lose hope in Yiddishkeit from my house. They didn't learn to despise Torah from my house. It's not my responsibility. I sent them to the best yeshivos. I spent all the money in the world for what they needed. And Hashem is going to say, okay, let's go to the last one. Let's go to Yitzchak. And Yitzchak is going to say, Hashem, wait, wait, wait. My children? They're your children. How dare you, Hashem, claim that they're only my children? They're your children also. And at that moment, the Jewish people are going to announce, Ki ata avinu. Yitzchak, you're our father. The father of severity, the father of difficulty, the father of severity and suffering is going to be the only person who's willing to take upon himself the sho- on his shoulders the difficulty that the Jews have experienced through Golos. How is he going to handle it? By reminding Hashem that Hashem, you're the one who put them in this place. You're the one who hid your name from the Megillah. You're the one who allowed them to conceive of a world where you don't exist. You're the one who allowed them for a moment to enter into the Yeyush of the fact that they may have died already. And it's our job together, Yitzchak says, to remind them that they're still very much alive. At that point, the Jewish people announce, Yitzchak, 
You're our father. And that's the v'tishak liyom acharon. That's where the laughter comes from. The laughter of incongruity, the laughter of the fact that we have all lost hope in ourselves on a certain level, yet nevertheless, in the moments of Purim in our lives, we still have hope even though we've lost hope. We still believe in ourselves even though we have no reason to believe in ourselves. That's the laughter of Yitzchak. That's the laughter of Purim. I've been told numerous times that I can, with my words, be mitlahev. I can awaken people. But it doesn't necessarily mean that anybody will leave with anything practical. So let's make this a little bit more practical. When talking about Yitzhak, it's hard for me to hold myself back, so I'm being a little bit self-reflective right now. How are we supposed to sweeten the judgments? How are we meant to deal with the suffering? Again, Lev Yodea Maris Nafsho. The Vilna Gon brings down a mushal in the beginning of his Sefer, Kol Hatur, the voice of the turtle dove. A Sefer that's all about Mashiach. A Sefer that's taking place in front of our eyes. And he tells the mushal as follows, and it's brought down in Medrash Chazal, as Rav Kasher points out as well. That there's a king whose son has sinned, who has done something terrible, some nondescript failure. And the nondescription of the failure itself is very important. When a person learns the Svarim of Breslov, Rabbi Nassim uses this specific Lashon very often. When a person has fallen to the place that they have fallen. So sometimes when learning Rabbi, Nach- Rabbi Nassim and Rabbi Nachman, you want to say, tell us what we've done. Tell us where we've fallen. But Rabbi Nassim doesn't allow it. It's always nondescript. It's always when you have fallen to wherever you have fallen. And again, because like we said in the beginning, it's subjective. Failure is subjective. What for one person might be a failure might be a success for another person. And nobody needs to go through trauma to understand suffering. Chazal have already annihilated any theories of trauma with their announcement that if you want a dollar and you find 99 cents in your pocket, that's enough of a reason to consider yourself a Bal Yasurin. Anytime life doesn't go the way you want it to go, that's enough of a reason to open your eyes and say, Hashem, what in the world is going on here? Because I know that I'm an Hashemah Chelek Elokai I know that I carry within myself the residual presence of God in this world. So how could it be that anything in this world goes against my desire? Any time we find that the world goes against our will is enough to understand what to be a Bal Yasurin means. Rabbi Nassim, when he protects us by saying, B'makom shenafal, b'makom shenafal, is saying that wherever you have fallen, whether it's one foot or a thousand feet, it's enough of a feeling of failure. You don't have to reach rock bottom to understand what suffering is. Sometimes it's okay just to be a little bit anxious to need Hashem more in our lives, to force Hashem more into our lives. And it's specifically in the month of Adar, what the Sefer Yetzirah refers to as the month of laughter. The Sefer Yetzirah gives us a sense for each month. And the sense of the month of Adar is schoik, is laughter. Because Adar is the time where we allow ourselves to remember and to believe. 
that in spite of the fact that everything seems broken and dark and forlorn and anxiety-producing and overwhelming and unmanageable, nevertheless, it's manageable. Somehow, some way, Yitzchak Avinu is both dead and alive at the same time. How is it possible? We have no idea. When you're laughing, you don't need a rational explanation for why something was funny. Because laughter emerges specifically out of the acknowledgement that rationality is a failure. If we attempt to understand everything, we will suffer. If we attempt to have a deep understanding of how Hashem runs everything, we will be broken. But when we acknowledge the fact that there are things that we don't understand, that's where we'll find salvation. I've recognized the tangent that I lost myself on. The Vilnagon says, how does a king punish his child? How does the king who loves his child but needs to punish him at the same time deal with it? The typical punishment is to stone the child with a big boulder. The typical punishment is to destroy the sinner or the transgression with stoning. So the Vilnagon writes that the king's Eitza comes and it says, you have to throw the stone at the child because if you don't, then you're a failure in your political opinions. But on the other hand, if you throw the massive boulder at your child, you're going to destroy them. So the Vilnagon says that the king's advisor says, break the boulder into a million little pieces and throw each pebble at the child. Therefore, you will still be Makayim throwing the boulder at the child. But the child won't be destroyed because you're only throwing small boulders, small pebbles. When we're confronted with Gevura, when we're confronted with difficulty, our job is to break it up into bite-sized manageable pieces, to learn how to compartmentalize, to realize that Hashem might not be with me right now in business, but at least He's with me in my family. Or Aloaleinu, Hashem might not be with me in my family right now, but at least he's with me in davening. To recognize that the problems that we experience, the catastrophication that we undergo very often, where we take small problems and enlarge in them to be overwhelming catastrophes, can very often be broken up into bite-sized problems that are easy, more easy to deal with. The Leshem Shweva Chaloyma says, this is why we have to chew maror. It's a halacha psukha that if you don't chew maror, if you only swallow maror, if you only swallow marirus, if you only swallow suffering, you're not mekayim the mitzvah. You have to chew maror. Because the only way to deal with maror in our lives is to bite it and chew it down to bite-sized manageable pieces. By breaking suffering down into manageable particles, we give ourselves the ability to say, Nisht geferlich. One of the most important teachings that I have ever learned is from my Saba, my Saba who suffered more, like a generation who suffered more than any of us can ever imagine. Sabrachin is the word in Yiddish. Sabrachin means broken. I have never heard from my Saba the word Sabrachin. The only context in which I heard the word Sabrachin 
was, I'm sorry, the only context in which I heard the word geferlach was nisht geferlach. That it's not terrible. That as the Jewish people, we've taken the concept of something being terrible and we've transformed it into the tefillah of nisht geferlach. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's severe. Yes, it's harsh. Yes, it's broken. But it's not overwhelming. I can still move forward. We're talking about schok, so let's look at the Lashon of Chazal with schok. This is going to be in the tefillah of the Katoiras. Katoiras, again, we haven't given a shir on Katoiras here yet. Mirz Hashem will be able to come before Yom Kippur and talk about it. But Katoiras is the sugya for the Arizal and for all of our tzaddikim of suffering. After the rebellion of Edas Koirach, after things destroyed themselves and broke apart into a million little pieces, Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Shemayim and Chazal tell us that he received gifts from all the Malachim. But there was one Malach who didn't offer a gift. That was the Malach HaMavas, the angel of death. And Moshe Rabbeinu, being the stubborn yid that he was, said, I'm not leaving here until you give me a gift. And the gift that the Malach HaMavas gave Moshe Rabbeinu was the gift of Ketoiras. Ketoiras is the secret of the Chalbana. How something that smells so poignant, so disgusting, so unbearable, can be beautiful, can be powerful, can contain within itself sparks of holiness. And so the Ketoiras is the sugya of how we take death itself and transform it to Chaim. To reveal that even in the furthest most point of suffering, there's a birthplace of laughter. Tanya Rabbi Nassan Omer. Rabbi Nassan says, Kishahu Sochik, when he was breaking things apart, again, we see, like the Vilna Gon said, to break things apart is to laugh. We're breaking it up into bite-sized pieces. Omer Hadak Hetiv, break it into smaller and smaller pieces. Hetiv Hadak, very small. When we want to learn how to confront suffering, when we want to learn how to laugh, it's when we look at our lives and we identify that the suffering we experience is manageable. We're able to laugh still. We're able to say that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you're still here. We're going to end with the teaching from the Sayyid Yasharim. The Pur, Purim, comes from a Lushan of Pirurim, of crumbs, of tiny bits, of tiny sediment. Hashem takes even the slightest effort that we engage in, the slightest movement that in our minds appears to be deeply insignificant. And He contains all of them from all of Yisrael. And He brings them closer to Him. How everything, the slightest sliver of faith that we can find in our lives when things are difficult, Hashem takes it and He bows in front of it, Kav That's where Hashem gains His sustenance, Kav That Purim comes from the Lashon of Pirurim, of crumbs. On Purim what we're celebrating is our ability 
to laugh with Hashem even though we have no reason to laugh. To laugh because life is too serious to take seriously. And that laughter of v'tishchak liyom acharon, of v'nahapechu, the belief that even though nothing is right, everything is right, that's the hargasha of Purim. That's the hargasha of that your hope itself is what will never dry out. I don't need anything but your hope. I don't need anything but your ability to laugh even when you have absolutely no reason to laugh. And Be'ezra Sashem, we are, our tzaddikim have told us, we're the door achron. Contextually, historically speaking, we're still very close to that which happened, to that which took place long ago. We're still the door acharon. And our job is to learn how to be v'titzchak liyom acharon. How to laugh, how to embody the midos of Yitzchak. How to identify the fact that for the Rebbe of Baruch, the true source of Purim in the Torah is the suga of Yitzchak <coughs> himself. And that somehow, some way, is roigez de ikra baruch. There is a severity that in its depth, in its heart, is a true blessing. Thank you for tolerating whatever I just said. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page, and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.